Carter is a right-wing Democrat, largely dependent on right-wing forces. And if you don't believe us now, we will certainly lay that out for you. So do you want to take us through uh, kind of his early life and early government? Yeah, so Carter was a figure who probably doesn't at least initially seem like someone who would rise to the presidency. He uh, was born to, uh, I believe, the background is he came from a poor family, right? That's how most people perceive him, correct? Mm-hmm. He's just a yokel, just like Yeah, me. he's just a yokel. Um, <laughs> he didn't necessarily have like a terrible family. Um, I believe his dad was also in the military during World War I. He grew up in an integrated community, which was unusual for his time period and would influence his personal feelings on race. But um, by the time he got into politics, he was already savvier than I think people give him credit for. One of the images of Jimmy Carter is he's a yokel, like you were saying. He was this naive idealist who wanted to change the world. But if you actually trace him, his um, political trajectory back to when he first ran for state senator in Georgia, it's very different. So he first ran for office in 1962, beating uh, Dixie Kratt Homer Moore, which, cool, he was a Kennedy Democrat and he opposed segregation. That's like the bar you need to, that's like the lowest you need yeah. to do to like be a good person. <laughs> in that period, literally. Um, you could be a socialist, communist, whatever, but that's like the lowest you can go before it's like, okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> but Carter had aspirations for more, like all great men do, or men who are claimed to be great men do. Carter was this kind of naive figure who, in some sense, did screw things up um, for people, because uh, when he ran for governor, he ran in a hotly contested um, primary, where there were three candidates, one of whom the other person was Lester Maddox, a very open segregationist. He became famous nationally because he opposed integrating his restaurant and said he would not serve black customers. This gave him a national profile and, and people yeah, people pushed for him to run for governor. So in this election, Carter finished in third in the primary, but because he cleared more than 20%, it actually forced a runoff for the other two candidates because of uh, just the way the elections work there. In the runoff, Maddox won and went to the general. Um, but oddly enough, what happened there was, again, Maddox kind of skated through on a technicality because the uh, Republican opponent did not clear a 50% majority. So based on the way rules work in Georgia, that allowed the um, General Assembly there to elect their governor. And it was controlled by Dixiecrats, who then elected Maddox. So the segregationist, who was everything that Carter was not, ended up getting into office because of Carter in a really weird backhanded kind of that's way. So cool. <laughs> yeah, I know. And uh, that's not totally something you can put on him. This happens all the time. We've seen it nationally. It happened in 2016 for the Republicans. They helped Trump get into office because of so many dumbasses who decided to run. Uh, but Carter came back and then decided to run for governor again in 1970, which he did win. And at that point, um, he took an immediate detour from Maddox and he said segregation is not going to be happening in Georgia. At his inauguration, uh, there's even a famous quote where he said, based on this knowledge of Georgians north and south, rural and urban, liberal and conservative, I say to you quite frankly that the time for racial discrimination is over. So on the He surface, probably said it, that with Stone Mountain in the backdrop or something. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. And that's <laughs> going to be funny what I'm about to get to, because openly he promoted, um, you know, African-American um, people. Uh, he promoted African-American, uh, African-Americans into office. 
in um, Georgia, and he actually did try and enact some policies that would help Black voters who put him into office. He was wildly popular among Black voters in Georgia. But as we often see with politicians, he slowly backed away from that. Um, one of the big things that happened with him as governor is he was a social conservative. Um, so he, for example, he opposed abortion. He opposed um, many things that would help people. And one of the things that he did that immediately angered Black voters is he opposed busing campaigns, which were in national news in the 70s by that point because of a federal order to integrate schools. Um, there's even a quote where he says, I've seen it firsthand in Georgia, several communities torn apart and the public school system damaged were almost abandoned by many citizens because of a mandatory busing requirement. So the voters who put him into office, Black voters largely, he then sort of turned his back on with things like this. Um, and he struck up a number of other positions that allied him with other social conservative Democrats, primarily the Dixiecrats. Um, one of the things you hear about with Carter largely is that he is um, a decent man. He opposes all kinds of suffering, humanitarian, he's a humanitarian. But when he was governor, he actually um, signed into a uh, law, uh, way, uh, he signed into law a policy reinst reinstituting the death penalty. And that was reintroduced into Georgia in 1973. So you see early on that he's this shrewd figure who isn't exactly the naive kind of figure he's always portrayed as. He has right. these moments, obviously, with Maddox, where he unintentionally helped this idiot get into office, but he sort of saw what happened there, and he played to those forces. After he saw backlash from his inauguration with his discrimination speech, he then opposed busing campaigns. So Carter, as this you know, naive figure, isn't exactly what it is. I mean, he was very shrewd politically, and he always maintained some sense of ambiguity, cultivating an image as a liberal populist, even while he was enacting conservative policies. One of the yeah. big things and one of the things that really doesn't get discussed is Carter as, I think you've put it before, a peacenik. That's how people perceive him. But while he was governor, he was ironically one of maybe the staunchest supporters of William Calley, the <laughs> Milai, um yeah. war criminal. And it's weird the way he did it because he did it in a way where he gave himself an out. So for those who aren't familiar... William Calley was a second lieutenant in the army, and um, in March of 1968, his team defend, uh, descended on My Lai and raped and murdered uh, hundreds of Southern Vietnamese uh, villagers. The military tried to cover this up, and it took almost a year for it to come into the news when a figure who will become a recurring you know, presence on this episode, Seymour Hirsch, broke the story of the My Lai massacre um, in 1969 on November 13th of that year. Initially, no one wanted to cover the My Lai massacre. And Hirsch had to run it in a um, small independent um, news service known as Dispatch News. Uh, it was formed largely to cover Vietnam because they weren't satisfied with how it was being portrayed. And then immediately after that, the following day, um, other newspapers like the Washington Post and New York Times picked up the story. And Hirsch stayed on it. He was able to interview Callie and this put the story into the national press. And eventually the military was forced to move forward on a court-martial, and Callie was convicted in March of 1971 for the murder of 22 Southern Vietnamese villagers, and he was then um, sentenced to life imprisonment. Um, but and about oddly, 500 civilians were killed, by yeah. the way. So he got convicted for about uh, a small number. of them. <laughs> and that's, so that's one of the things that's going to be interesting here, because the same day he is given the life sentence, Carter goes out publicly and states the conviction is unjust. 
uh, because, and this is going to be a funny quote, but the conviction means that every time a gun is fired, the soldier is responsible for the consequences of it. So people don't take, kill people. Guns kill people. Take that in there yeah. for a second. I mean, so when you're in the military, there is technically an order that you're not supposed to carry out any unjust orders from superior officers. But that's never actually how it plays out. Um, when you fire a weapon, you're the one who pulled the trigger. It's ultimately yeah. on you. And, and me lies publicly. Sorry, can I? Me no, lies yeah, is, is this is where the phrase like combat age male comes from, right? Like that was their yeah. just for shooting like nine and 10 year olds. I mean, they massacred men, women, children. They didn't give a fuck. But the, the justification that they tried to play was that, oh, we saw combat aged males. And uh, over the course of Vietnam, you know, that that age gets lower and lower and lower. Like, oh, I saw a five year old holding a stick. And so, you know, I had the right to fire. And that's that's and this gets used. You know, and one of the things that isn't really brought up a lot is that not everyone at Milai did that. Um, there's the example of Hugh Thompson Jr., the aviator, um, the pilot who literally turned guns on American soldiers and was like, yeah. do not shoot, do not rape, do not do these things, because they were doing it to like children. They were murdering and raping children. Yeah. Um, so to have Carter come out and say that is really bizarre. But then he took it a step further on April 2nd, a couple of days later. And I want to shout out Marina Oswald. Um, the Twitter yeah. account, not Lee Harvey's wife, um, Love her. for finding this because it's something that was somewhat well-known at the time, but not as discussed now. Um, on April 2nd, Carter made a proclamation that on the following Thursday, April 8th of 1971, he was declaring it American Fight and Man's Day. And he was doing this because he wanted to... He wanted to defend Cali, but he also wanted to provide himself with a way out because I think he understood mm -hmm. that politically it was going to be suicide if he openly right. endorsed Cali. That was just an excerpt from the American Exception podcast. To hear the whole episode, as well as archived and new episodes, please subscribe to the American Exception podcast at Patreon. There's a link in the show notes, or you can just go to patreon.com slash American Exception. Subscribe and you can join us as we illuminate the dark side of the U.S. empire.